Hello and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is episode 47. It's being brought to you today by DraftKings. The conference finals in full swing and the action increases from game to game. Now to give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes, up for grabs each day. Now the very best part of all this, it is free to play. That is free to play. DraftKings free-to-play pools, they're easy to enter. All you have to do is download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and then choose from a wide variety of free contests for your opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games, and then track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. Now, remember, the DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So, download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Going to freeform most of today's program. Hope you don't mind. Uh, obviously, things very quiet on the Grizzlies front right now, since uh, they are they are in the off season. But like everybody else in the NBA, they are working through the NBA draft combine and trying to figure out who they are going to draft. Since our last visit, the NBA draft lottery was held. Detroit will get the number one overall pick, followed by Houston, Cleveland, Toronto, and Orlando. Grizzlies, uh, since they made the playoffs, uh, not in the lottery, which is pretty cool. They will draft 17th in the first round of the NBA draft, and then they will also draft 51st in the second round of the NBA draft. And given this front office's acumen at getting talent uh, late in the first round and into the second round, uh, the fact that they're picking 17th and 51st should not be an issue at all for this franchise uh, if they choose to actually exercise those picks or if they choose to uh, include them in part of a trade package. No real trade rumors rolling around the NBA right now. We're going to get to a bunch of stuff. Obviously, we're in the midst of the conference finals right now. Uh, Phoenix with a 2-0 lead over the Los Angeles Clippers, and the, the Suns doing it without Chris Paul to this point, and the Clippers still without Kawhi Leonard. Meanwhile, Eastern Conference Finals were played uh, game one in Milwaukee and Atlanta with a fourth quarter rally and an amazing game from Trey Young. They were able to get the victory over the Milwaukee Bucks. So again, the lower seeded Atlanta Hawks go on the road in game one and they get a win. So we'll talk about that. Also have uh, what appears to be our first coaching hire. So many openings, uh, but only one hire about to be made. Final negotiations going on in Boston. We'll have more on that. We'll also talk about that remarkable game two uh, in Phoenix between the Clippers and the Suns, the uh, the final few seconds that took almost half an hour to play. Uh, we'll talk about replay. We'll talk about the meeting of the competition committee, talking about how they are going to change the rule or at least the interpretation on offensive players with jump shots. So we've got a whole lo- a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, like I said, we're going to freeform this. So if you're looking for a roadmap, uh, you best look elsewhere because uh, right now it's it's the off season and things are kind of casual. I'm wearing shorts and a golf shirt right now, so uh, we'll uh, we'll go casual with today's program. Let's go right to Game Two of the Western Conference Finals between the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers. 
this is a Suns team that has been remarkable on any number of levels. And part of the reason that they have the second best record in the NBA, I think, is that they brought in veteran leadership with a Chris Paul and with a Jay Crowder, guys that could could show Devin Booker what the playoffs are all about. Because, I mean, Crowder makes the playoffs every year. I think it's like the last eight years, maybe with five different teams, but he always finds a way to get himself to a playoff team. And last year played in the NBA Finals with the Miami Heat. And I think that that was one of the major moves uh, on the part of James Jones, the general manager in this Phoenix Suns club, getting some veteran leadership. And so now, even though they don't have Chris Paul, now Paul, we're being told, is probable for game three coming out of COVID protocol, um, even without him on the bench, even without him in the building, uh, they've been able to play some really, really good basketball. And a lot of that, I think, is the influence of Chris Paul. I mean, you talk to anybody with the team and they say, look, you know, he's FaceTiming us when he can. He's giving us pointers. He's giving us help. He's giving us information. So even though he's not being able to, has not been able to contribute on the court to this point, at least he's been doing something that has, has really helped this basketball team. And it's certainly it has helped Cameron Payne. So happy to see campaign do well. And not simply because he went to Lausanne Collegiate here in Memphis, but just the fact that this is a guy who's been in and out of the NBA, was, as I like to say, he was not born with a silver NBA spoon in his mouth, and he really had to earn everything that he got, uh, has dealt with all kinds of adversity in his career, and the game that he put up in Game 2 was was simply amazing, uh, not only as a setup guy, but uh, getting his own, had the best scoring night of his NBA career. You're really happy for a guy like this who put in the work, who put in the sweat equity, equity, who put in the grit and the grind and was able to, you know, put it all together on the biggest of stages, which is the conference finals against the Los Angeles Clippers team that, uh, you know, they, they got Paul George on the other side. They got Reggie Jackson on the other side. They got some good players on the other side. And, and yet campaign comes in. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say that they don't miss Chris Paul. They miss Chris Paul. Obviously, you miss Chris Paul. You don't you miss not having him on the floor. But Cameron Payne was absolutely fantastic and playing with a tremendous amount of confidence. One of the things that Bremen and I have talked about from time to time is that if you are going to have a, a championship basketball team, you have to have role players. You have to have guys who can contribute when they come in off the bench, guys who know their roles. And you look at this Phoenix team. And what impressed me as I watched that game is that everybody that hit the floor for Phoenix contributed. Obviously, DeAndre Ayton was fantastic. Campaign was fantastic. But they were getting contributions from a lot of guys. Cam Johnson was shooting the ball well from three. And to me, this really reflects on Monty Williams. This is a guy who hasn't won an NBA championship as a coach, but he, again, is part of the Greg Popovich coaching tree. He is a guy who is extremely personable, extremely bright, very good communicator. Um, and and to me, he is, as much as Chris Paul, the secret sauce for this Phoenix Suns team. I know Tom Thibodeau won Coach of the Year, and, I, and not to denigrate Thibs in any way because he is a fantastic basketball coach. But I look at what Monty Williams has done with the Phoenix organization. Uh, I think it's been a remarkable job by Monty Williams, who himself has overcome a tremendous amount of adversity, losing his wife in a horrific car crash, taking some time away from the game, 
taking care of his family, and then going back not as a head coach after uh, he left New Orleans, but then coming back as an assistant coach and, and working his way back to a point where he is now a head coach of a team that may well make the NBA Finals, may well make the NBA Finals. Now, of course, the question is, we've seen the Clippers – you know, rally on, on multiple occasions against the Dallas Mavericks. Are, are they going to be in that same situation here? And, and against the Utah Jazz, are they going to be able to rally? Don't know if they're ever going to get Kawhi Leonard back. Um, you know, and, and so many people like to beat on Paul George for, for what he is not. But I thought Paul George in game two, everybody's going to remember the two missed free throws late in the game. That's what people are going to remember. They're, they're, but they're going to forget very conveniently all the other shots that he made to get them with an opportunity to win that basketball game. Uh, and the two missed free throws, you know, some people are going to say, well, it's inexcusable. You know, you're, you're an elite-level, world-class player. You can't miss two free throws in the fourth quarter of a, a game of that magnitude. It happens. Um, and as a result, it opened the door for Phoenix to run a play that uh, the Grizzlies lost a game at Phoenix uh, on a lob to Tyson Chandler uh, at the other end of the floor a few years ago. Uh, it, it's a rule that a lot of people don't know about. And just to clarify that, um, you cannot have offensive basket interference on a throw-in because it is not a live ball until it is touched. You can only have basket interference if you have a live ball. Uh, so by definition, a throw-in is not a live ball until it's touched by somebody uh, on the court. And so that's why there, there's no offensive goaltending. You can throw it in the cylinder, and you can tip dunk it. Uh, under normal circumstances, that would be illegal if the pass came from the playing surface rather than from out of bounds so it was clearly a legal play that that was never ever a question very very smart by Monty Williams because a lot of times players and coaches may just say well the the referees know the rules so we're going to leave it up to them but you do need to know the rules because you need to know that in that case you can throw the ball into the cylinder from out of bounds and you can tip dunk it and it is a legal play uh, one of the questions that came up, and we're going to segue now to a little bit of officiating talk. Uh, one of the questions that was raised on the national telecast by Mike Breen, because the uh, clock was at point nine, and then the clock ran to all zeros after the ball cleared the net. And then, you know, the question was, well, is the game over or do we add time or how much time do we deduct from the point nine? Normally, when the ball is touched, it's an automatic deduction of three-tenths of a second. But in this case, what had happened was the one of the one of the outside referees noticed that the clock had started early. It had started before Aiton touched the basketball. And so what they did is, uh, because the, the play itself, okay, the, the tip dunk with the ball in the cylinder, that's not reviewable because there was no goaltending call, nor should there have been. So it quite simply is... It's a successful basket. No, nothing to be reviewed there. But because the referee saw that um, that the clock had started early, that becomes now a replay trigger that they can go to replay and they can figure out what the appropriate time is. And so what they did is they went back to Secaucus and they did time if the clock had started properly 
on the touch by Aiton, and then the clock needs to stop when the ball clears the bottom of the net. That's where they came up with two-tenths of a second because what they had seen is once Aiton touches it, from the time he touches it in the cylinder and the ball clears the bottom of the net, two-tenths of a second had elapsed off the clock. So that's how we got to point seven. I know a lot of people were angry about the number of reviews that occurred during the last <laughs> few minutes of that game. Look, I get it. Uh, you can argue all you want that it gave Phoenix an extra timeout. It gave L.A. an extra timeout. Um, it gave players some time to rest. I mean, look, the thing is that everybody wants the call to be right. You want the call to be right. That This is the conference finals. You don't want somebody to potentially go to the NBA finals because of a, of a missed call that could have been corrected through technology. Yes, there were a lot of reviews. They were long-ish reviews because some of them weren't entirely clear-cut. And so it did take some time to go back to Secaucus to get a decision from the replay center official. And by the way, just to clarify, the out-of-bounds plays, that's determined by the replay referee in Secaucus. It's not determined on the court. On-court officials only have jurisdiction to make the call if there is a hostile act, if there is a flagrant foul, if there is an altercation. Everything else is supposed to be, be reviewed in Secaucus, which hopefully will make the process go a lot faster. Didn't necess wasn't necessarily the case because some of these some of these calls were pretty close, and uh, they wanted to make sure that that they got it right. As far as people who want to say that you know games like that they're, they're, they're destroying the NBA and, and this is ruining the product and, and, and things like that. My response to that would be essentially this. Look, game two was an outlier for the number of reviews that you had. It's an outlier for the number. It's also an outlier from the fact it's a conference finals game. This is not, and it's not to say that the NBA takes less care of a game in, in mid-January, but the fact of the matter is this is a conference finals game where you have a NBA finals berth on the line. So they went the extra yard, the extra mile, the extra two minutes or whatever it was to make sure that they got the call correct. And then after that, you also had the situation where after the made field goal, you cannot have any substitutions. Well, the Clippers were trying to substitute Reggie Jackson into the game. Uh, which is not legal. And so Scott Foster, the crew chief, had to go to the official score and say, okay, remind me, who were the five on the floor for with, with the play that started at point nine? Those five have to remain on the floor. Uh, and, and that took a bit, little bit of time because they've got to go back and, and, and they've got to look and they've got to double check because you want to make sure that you get it right. You don't want to put yourself into a situation where if L.A. had been allowed a substitution – and had scored as a result, and then potentially you would have you would have grounds for a protest on the part of the Phoenix Suns because you had a misapplication of the NBA rule book because you allowed a substitution when no substitution should have been allowed, and we would have really really had a mess. So enough on that. Um, let's so let's segue to some more officiating talk, uh, and and it and it kind of ties in with game one and, and Trey Young with his amazing game in Milwaukee and his ability to really elevate his team and play at such a, a remarkable level. And, and now Atlanta with a, a one Oh lead over the Milwaukee bucks. Uh, the competition committee, I think has heard the, the wailings 
uh, of Brevin Knight about offensive players who go through an unnatural shooting motion to to lean in and to draw contact and and get a defensive foul and get themselves to the free throw line. Uh, it, it is it is it is a sticky wicket because the way that the the play is adjudicated now is that if a player defensive player leaves his feet and he jumps as they say from A to B from where he starts and if he jumps closer to the offensive player the offensive player now will see that and the offensive player will lean in in what appears to be an unnatural shooting motion draw the contact from the defender and as a result it's two free throws um you know Brevin has been very very vocal about uh, that that offensive players should not be rewarded for contorting themselves in an unnatural manner to create contact uh, and to get to the free throw line. Trey Young is very good at this. In, in fact, uh, I, I did see one tweet from a very well-respected person who said, well, the NBA is coming after Trey Young. The NBA is not coming after Trey Young. I think they're trying to clean up the game. I think they're trying to make the game uh, better. Uh, I think of the the three shot fouls and and that resulted in a change in interpretation where everybody was trying to get three shot fouls with some unnatural shooting motions and creating contact and uh, the NBA uh, cleaned up the interpretation of that and and it it cleaned up the game and it made the game look better. I, I just don't think that if you have offensive players that are going to be leaning in all the time trying to hunt fouls, I, just from my aesthetic perspective, I would rather have a player try to make a jump shot than try to try to get themselves to the free throw line. I, I just that that's just me. I think when you when you're trying to game the system and, and to me that's cheating the game a little bit and I, it, it, but that's my opinion and it, 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 clearly it's Brevin's opinion as well. This rule uh, it, or this interpretation if it ends up being enacted is is going to affect Jaron Jackson jr from a from a Grizzlies perspective because Jaron is very, very good at flailing his leg out. Uh, and so, you know, he does open himself to the potential for offensive fouls. And that, to me, is going to be uh, something that he ha- will have to deal with uh, if this interpretation is inactive. So that, that to me, is uh, something that is going to have to be looked at. Uh, I think it – honestly, I think it's going to make it even tougher for the officials because how do you, how do you interpret, how do you figure out uh, what is a – natural or unnatural shooting motion. So they're going to have to come up with some bright lines, which Monty McCutcheon, who who runs the officiating training and development staff, he's all about bright lines. Where's the bright line that it makes it easier for our officials to adjudicate the game rather than more difficult? I think potentially this interpretation, unless they can come up with some really, really clear language and a really clear interpretation, I, I think that you do run the risk of, of putting your officials in a bad spot where it's going to be a lot harder for them to adjudicate what is a natural shooting motion, what is an unnatural shooting motion. So, uh, you know, the competition can talk, committee can talk about it. They can recommend that there are changes. But how exactly do you enact these changes? That, to me, is going to really, really be the biggest thing. And I think it's going to be the biggest challenge for uh, the NBA going forward. Uh Circling back to to game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, I mean, this was a Milwaukee team that, you know, they had a seven-point lead late, and then Atlanta uses a 14-6 to run. A lot of offensive rebounding. Mike Budenholzer is getting questioned as to why Brooke Lopez was not in the game as Milwaukee gave up a, a handful of offensive rebounds and second-chance points late. Uh, Lopez is a guy who can space the floor. Obviously, he's not the fleetest of foot, but he can space the floor. He can shoot the three ball. And then, you know, Pat Connaughton, 
That, that was really uncharacteristic. He's, he's a pretty good three-point shooter, and then to throw up an air ball, that was, uh, that was clearly not what Mike Budenholzer wanted out of that particular possession. Uh, you know, Milwaukee, you would think, would have some advantages. Chris Middleton did not shoot the ball particularly well. That might be the best matchup advantage that Milwaukee has, and he didn't shoot the basketball particularly well. When when he plays well, you saw it against the Brooklyn Nets. When, when Middleton is in in his bag and on his game, Milwaukee is very, very tough to beat. Atlanta right now is just riding a tremendous wave of confidence. They have the two massive comeback victories against the Philadelphia 76ers. They have no fear about playing on the road. They have no compunction about winning on the road. They know how to handle their business on the road. And so they they just have been really – Really good, and and is is it belief? Is it magic? Uh, it it's well, a lot of it is confidence, and there's nobody that embodies confidence like Trey Young, and you've got a guy like Nate McMillan back there who has been an outstanding head coach wherever he has been. Boy, don't you think the Indiana Pacers wish they had Nate McMillan right now? Um, so they're they're playing with a tremendous amount of confidence, and and look, they they feel like they they could be a team of destiny, and maybe they are a team of destiny. The Atlanta Hawks have never won an NBA title. The Hawks franchise did when they were located in St. Louis, and that's another thing that we're seeing right now that the, the viewership numbers are very very strong, and I think it's encouraging for the NBA as a whole that you have four markets that are not traditional powers okay the Clippers have not been to a conference final Suns haven't been uh you know this deep in the playoffs since you know John Paxson hit the three for the Chicago Bulls back in uh, back in the 90s Milwaukee hasn't been uh to the NBA finals uh, you know I don't think since they won it in 1970-71 so you know you're, you're getting teams in there right now that um are intriguing you have a small market team in Milwaukee uh, you have a Phoenix team that's been absent for a long, long time. You have a Clipper team that uh, is the quote-unquote other team in L.A. They are in the conference finals. Um, and an Atlanta Hawks team, that a franchise that has not had a tremendous amount of postseason success. And so you have all these interesting storylines. There's, there's no LeBron James. There's, there's no Kevin Durant in these NBA finals. And yet the viewership is very, very high. The competitive spirit in these games has been amazing and we have seen some very very dramatic games and dramatic endings and I think it's really good for the league that while you want to have your stars you 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 love look you'd love to have LeBron James and Steph Curry in the finals I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it that that's obvious and and they are ratings gold of course but interesting as as you look at this NBA postseason which has been I think pretty much an unqualified success from from a TV ratings standpoint that even though you've not had uh, the Knicks getting past the first round or the Lakers uh, making much headway in the playoffs, um, you know, look, Lakers don't make it out of the first round. Knicks don't make it out of the first round. Brooklyn doesn't make it to the conference finals. So, And the Bulls aren't even in the playoffs. So your top three media markets are not even represented uh, well, with, with the Clippers, obviously. But like I said, they're, they're kind of considered LA's other team. So, you know, Lakers, Knicks, Celtics, uh, you know, they don't advance. And yet you have real strong television ratings, which I think bodes well for the league. And I think it also bodes well for the fact that people understand that there are more players in the NBA, more quality players in the NBA than, than simply LeBron James. And I, I think that that's really great for the NBA. 
Finally, I want to touch on the one coaching hire that uh, apparently has been made or is about to be made in Boston. Brad Stevens, of course, moving upstairs, and it looks like Boston, if we are to believe Adrian Wojnarowski, which is usually a pretty good idea, they will hire Ime Udoka, who has been an assistant coach several stops, including San Antonio, Philadelphia, uh, and most recently with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, that he would be the next head coach of the Boston Celtics. I think it's a really, really good hire. Uh, what Woj is reporting is that Yudoka really separated himself early in the process in talking with Brad Stevens and with the Celtics. Uh, Yudoka was a coach for the U.S. national team with Greg Popovich. So Marcus Spart and Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum – have all had an opportunity to be with him, and they really, really like him. Uh, Yudoka is not flashy, but he exudes a confidence. He exudes a, a gravitas that I think players um, you know, really gravitate toward. And so it was one of the things that uh, you know, Boston felt really, really good about was the fact that he has a relationship with, with three of their core players. Uh, obviously, he's part of the Popovich coaching tree. And Greg Popovich has you know nothing but good things to say about him, except for the fact that Yudoka doesn't drink, and so Pop says I can't enjoy a glass of wine with him. So he's really, really boring at dinner. Um, but but I, I just think that that it's a it's a very good hire for the Boston Celtics. Um, again, it's a, a team going with a young assistant coach. This might be a, like I said, a little bit of an asterisk because he has coached three of their players before at the international level. Uh, and, and they have great respect for him. So, you know, you, you lead off with that, that you already have pre-existing relationships between three of your key players and your new head coach. I think that's a real good start for Ime Udoka. Uh, everything that I have heard and people that I, from people that I have talked to is that he's very, very sound tactically, in addition to being a classy individual and a great communicator. So really good hire for the Boston Celtics. Um, Darvin Ham with Milwaukee Bucks was also very highly thought of. Uh, for that opening as well. Remains to be seen what happens in Portland. We're hearing a lot of different things right now. And, and one of the names that I was almost sure was going to be at the top of the list was Rick Carlisle. And I, I've had people tell me Rick Carlisle is going to be the next coach of the Portland Trailblazers, yet the reporting seems to indicate that uh, at least at the moment he is uh, he, that he's not the leading candidate anyway, that there are other candidates that uh, that they are very interested in as well. So uh, very intriguing to see where Rick Carlisle ends up if he ends up coaching again next season or Rick Carlisle certainly would be very, very good if he chose to to go the media route. I would expect Stan Van Gundy would probably go back to Turner where he was a very good analyst uh, for TNT um, in their coverage in the bubble last year. I don't expect him to get back into the coaching game. But right now, there are a lot of things are kind of quiet uh, on the coaching front simply because everybody is dealing with the NBA Combine and trying to figure out who they're going to pick in the, in the draft upcoming in July. Well, that does it for this edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind, presented by our good friends at DraftKings. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll be back. We're hoping to get Rick Kamla from Sirius XM NBA radio on the line. We tried to get him for uh, this show, but we had some technical difficulties, could not bring him on the show. So uh, we will have him, hopefully, we'll keep our fingers crossed, a week from today as we get deeper into the conference finals. 
Today's program also brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. I want to tell you about their summer camps. Uh, the Desmond Bain Shooting Camp, the first one, is wrapping up today, but there is another camp. It will start on July 26th and on July 29th. The age range is from 5 to 14. 225 bucks for the camp. If you want to add lunch to uh, that package, it becomes 255 Registration will close on July 26th. Um, it's for boys and girls, like I said, between the 26th and 29th of July from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. It'll take place at Collierville Parks and Recreation on West Powell Road in Collierville. Um, you can also uh, get yourself a nice little discount if you uh, register by July the 1st. So that's coming up. Uh, lunch option is available as well, like I said. Uh, snacks, drinks, and gear can be purchased from the camp store from funds from the camp bank. Parents can take the worry out of money being lost. No need to send money with your camper. Just deposit money in the camp bank, and the money will be deposited in your camper's account at the camp store. All money from the camp bank will need to be claimed then after the completion of camp. All right. Uh, what what do you get with all this? In addition to learning how to shoot as well as Desmond Bain, you get two Grizzlies game tickets, 28 hours of expert instruction featuring d- drills, skill development, contests, and games. Also get a Desmond Bain Camp T-shirt, Certificate of Achievement, at the end of camp awards ceremony and and a whole lot more if you would like to get your young person involved in this uh desmond bain shooting camp call scott robinson you can reach scott at 317-490-5948 or at hoopcitycamps at yahoo.com so today's show brought to you by DraftKings and by hoop city basketball club thank you so much for listening i'm pete pranica this has been the grizz weekly grind episode 47 a proud affiliate of the basketball podcast network we'll see you next time Thank mm-hmm. you.